0: Good morning, church. What a tremendous privilege to be able to share God's Word with you today. Luke 24 is where we'll be if you have your Bible. We're going to start in that chapter. We are beginning our new seven-week series today that we have called Reviving Love which we have been praying and dreaming about uh, since January, in fact. The series is, in essence, a prayer um, of the leaders of this church, asking God to stir us, to, to move us, to renew us, to revive the hearts of His people again. See, as we prayed and thought about what our people really need in the midst of what has been a tumultuous couple of years, we couldn't get away from the thought that what we really need more than anything else is an encounter with God's living presence, a reminder of his eternal power, of his living reality in the world today. We we don't simply need answers, clever answers to society's ills. We need a renewal of our souls through an encounter with the ultimate reality, and that is a living God who loves us. You see, we need a a right-sized perspective on Him and who He is and how present and powerful He is in the world and in your life before we have any hope of having any kind of perspective on what we face here and now. I know from speaking to many of you that many of you feel that too. You want a spiritual renewal in your souls. Your souls are tired, (laughs) tired. and you want to meet with the Lord, and you want to encounter His presence. For some of you, that's because you've never had it in the first place. Maybe you're here this morning, you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ. You're here perhaps seeking answers. Could this God be real? Could He bring meaning and vitality and vibrance and purpose to my life? I pray that He meets with you today. For some of you, you've been away for a while and you're back in church perhaps for the first time in a long time today and you're just asking God, are you still there? Now, if you are, can you still love me? Now, for, for some of you, you've stayed the course But your faith this morning, truth be told, feels a little dry and brittle, corroded by the onslaught of everything that has taken place in our world and in your life in the last little while. And you're asking, God, please, will you just renew me? Will you meet with me? Will you take me back to the place where I loved you? where I obeyed you, where I trusted you, where I experienced your nearness. Can you guys remember that? If you've been walking with Christ for a while, those seasons in your life where he feels so present, so near, and your response to him is so full of faith. Well, many of you are asking, yeah, Lord, do that again. I want that again in my heart. We long for renewal. I know that I do anyway. And so what we began to do as leaders as we looked through history to see how God has at times stirred up a group of people. How he's done this in seasons throughout church history in particular places and times. And as we looked, we saw that really it's mysterious. You can't control the spirit of God, right? That's great news. But what we did see is that in all of the great movements of God through the ages, they follow a sort of pattern. And broadly defined, those patterns can be put in four categories. They go... Pain, oh bad news, why do we have to start there, right? But that's the pattern, pain, prayer, presence and people, right? Pain, prayer, presence and people, it starts with pain. Usually revivals occur at crisis points in society where people's security and their sense of belonging have been taken away from them, where suffering leads them to a disillusionment with the world and a discontent with their status quo that drives them back to eternal things, that drives them away from the mundanity of their existence, from the cheapness of the idols they've been pursuing, and they start to ask the big questions of life again. Have you noticed we don't ask? ask those big questions when things are going swimmingly, right? We tend to press in in moments of pain. And I know for many of us, there's been global pain, right? This just feels like every time you turn the news on, there's just anxiety and pain. Even today, we watch as that storm approaches a coastline not very far away from here, and we go, oh, Lord, so much pain, so much pain as we've seen footage from across the seas this year in Afghanistan, so much pain, Right? as we've experienced everything we've experienced over the last 18 months, so much pain. And then there's you, right? What's happening in your own world and in your own family and in your own life and in your own inner self, so much pain. Well, that pain sometimes, sometimes can be a catalyst from God that drives us then into the next thing, which is prayer and dependence. There has never been a reviving work of God across history without people in pain throwing themselves in a new way into a posture of prayer. You see, when you're discontent with the world, you can either become bitter or you can humble yourself and become prayerful and dependent, right? But you can't really do both. And so people throw themselves in their discontent at God's feet in weakness and prayer and repentance and longing. And then what happens is the mystery occurs. God pours out his spirit and his presence moves powerfully amongst a group of people in a special way. And what does that do? It creates a new kind of people, a different kind of church. It leads to a people full of zeal, full of evangelism, determined to, to live lives of holiness, people who love worship, people of rich sacrificial community. Have you ever wanted to be part of something like that? I have. Have you ever felt like maybe we're just playing church sometimes? Sunday after Sunday, it was good. Message is good. worship I mean, Jimmy, we we sing with Jimmy, guys. We sing with the world's best, right? Uh, uh, But we go home and we go like, yeah, that's fine, right? But haven't you ever read in the scriptures and seen how the Spirit's moved in a group of people and read in the great works of history how the Spirit has upended lives and changed communities and shaken them to their core and gone, oh, to be part of that. Oh, to get to see that once, I have. Now, obviously, we cannot manufacture that sort of move of God. It's by its very nature a work of his own making. But here's what we want in this series, friends. We wanted to at least be a people who turned to prayer. <laughs> at least be a people who laid the table. At least be a people who, who, who displayed a longing in the face of our significant pain. We want it to be a people who cried out for more of God and who asked him humbly if he would do that again in our midst. And so instead of some kind of super smart vision series today, right, all of our super smart vision series got destroyed by 2020. Every church had a 2020 vision series, right? They were so clever. 2020, it's like vision. So if our vision is 2020, and God was like, those are all stupid ideas, right? And so he just canceled them all. You're not even going to be allowed to meet. Just stop it. It's so dumb. Stop doing that stuff, right? So instead of us trying to look forward with some kind of cleverness, some kind of rhyming couplet, some kind kind of memorable, hot, glam kind of thing. No, no, what we're going to do is we're humbly actually going to look backwards uh, to a vision of who God called us to be in the first place. We're going to look back in humility at what God actually made the church to be. And so we're going to look at the first few chapters of the book of Acts over the next seven weeks. We're going to be primarily in the first six chapters of Acts. Now listen, if you've read that, I know there's uh, some, some people get obsessed with the first six chapters of Acts and then uh, they turn it into something that it's not. We're not naive to how messy that was, right? The, the rest of the New Testament tells us that they didn't actually do that well, right? Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have had to write all these letters that said, please stop sinning. Please stop sinning, please get along, or so stop sinning. Kind regards, Paul, right? Okay, and so they weren't this perfect community, but they did experience this supernatural move of God. So we're not looking at this church through the lenses of a model, right? This is what we must do. No, we're looking at rather in wide-eyed wonder, saying, look at what God did. And then we are asking, oh, do it again, Because what we see is a group of nobodies, with all due respect to the people in the first six chapters of Acts, a group of nobodies with nothing in common in the midst of deep suffering and strife in one of the most divided societies in history who simply got renewed and revived by God's spirit. And what did they do? They turned the world on its head. (laughs) And we're recipients today still of their lives. And so we simply, friends, over the next seven weeks pleading with the Lord, do it again. If it would glorify your name, do it amongst us, but do it again. And so this week, so simply, we start by looking at the power source that got the early church going, the power of the precious Holy Spirit who was poured out into that ragamuffin bunch. We're being streamed to a few locations right now, but let me just talk to my West family for a second. You've heard me say everything that I'm going to say to you this morning before, and I'm saying it again deliberately because we need it again, all right? And so you're going to go like hey, we've heard you say this before. I know. <laughs> and we still are as we are. So let's say it again. All right, Luke 24, verse 44. Let's jump in. This is the resurrected Christ. I love the, the, the stories of the resurrected Christ, right? It's amazing. He's in some kind of renewed bodily form, he eats with his friends, he fellowships with them, but he can also travel through walls and teleport into other places, it makes me very excited for heaven um, and for our resurrected bodily forms, because if it's anything uh, like the resurrected Christ, it's going to be incredible, and he teaches them a lot of things, look what he says, verse 44, he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Oh, don't we need that? And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. He's saying, friends, don't be surprised. It's always been prophesied. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. Look what's gonna happen to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. It's gonna go from Jerusalem and it's gonna get all the way out there. One day it's gonna go to this crazy little outpost called the United States of America that no one's thought about and they're gonna gonna believe it in numbers. Can you believe this? You are witnesses of these things. And behold, look what he says to them: "I am sending this is him going away. I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. but stay." Now that's weird. That should make us pause. What does he said? It's, "You're in Jerusalem. It's going to go from Jerusalem to the ends of the world." We would think he says, uh, "Get going." right? time is short, world is big, we still don't have uh, motorized uh, transport, you're going to need to go, right? Go now. He says, stay, stay right here in the city until what? Until you are closed with what? From, with power from on high. This is the resurrected Christ giving a Bible study, which must have been awesome. He's saying to them, friends, this is all according to God's plan. The law, the prophets, the Psalms, everything spoke of this moment. And you can now rightly interpret all of scripture with what you know about me, what a blessing. And then he says, here's what comes next. The gospel is gonna be proclaimed by ordinary Muppets like you, right? It's gonna go from ordinary people to the nations of the world, starting here in Jerusalem and it's going global. You're gonna take it. Now imagine you're one of the disciples hearing this message, right? You're going, "Uh, Jesus, you've met us. That vision is too big for us. They must have wondered how that's gonna happen. They had seen Peter's lack of boldness under the questioning of a teenage girl, right? And now Jesus is saying, this is going to the nations. They're like, well, who else you sending? Because this bunch, we don't really have it together. But Jesus reminds them, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, the one that he had spoken to them about in John 14 to 17. I'm leaving, but I'm sending another one, my helper, my counselor, my Holy Spirit who will be with you. He will never leave you and forsake you. And so stay in the city until you are clothed with power. Why? You're going to need a power other than what you ordinarily possess if you're going to live this Christian life if you're gonna pursue the purposes of God. But don't worry, I've been promising you that I would send you this precious Holy Spirit, so please stay in the city until you have received that power, don't try to do this in your own strength for the love of God, please don't. <laughs> Jesus' plan, listen, just darling. Jesus' plan for taking the gospel to the nations of the world is that an ordinary group of people are going to be supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's His plan at the get-go. That's His plan today. And so the first observation today, quite simply, is this. God's people, if they're going to be God's people, need God's power. God's people need God's power. Luke knew that uh, uh, he needed to re-emphasize this, right? And so Jesus tells them again. He knows they're not gonna listen to him, so he tells them again. And so Luke and Acts are two volumes of the same writings, right? And so in Acts chapter one, what do we see? Jesus just before he ascends. And in Acts four, the resurrected Christ says this, while staying with them, he ordered them. Now, isn't that amazing, staying with them? There's whole chapters of commentaries written on that because they're going like, did Jesus, the resurrected Christ have a sleepover? with his friends, it just shows how important community is, right? That the resurrected Christ will be like, I'm just gonna stay with you for a bit, right? I'm gonna teach you, I'm gonna be in your homes, I'm gonna eat with you, it's amazing. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. And again, he's like, hey, dum-dums, remember, please, don't go yet, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, we're not unique in our moment. Everyone goes like, is this the moment? Is this the end times? Is this when we get to rule and reign forever? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But, so you see that weakness? You won't know. You don't know when it's coming. You don't know. But you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And as a result, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power. Friends, how do you know when the Holy Spirit has come upon you? What is the promise of the filling of the Holy Spirit? You will receive power. What followed then was Pentecost. The event in which God's power was poured out freely into the church in a remarkable way. It changed them so dramatically. Look at it quickly with me in Acts chapter 2 from verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Okay, remarkable, supernatural events. Some of you go like, yeah, that happened in my college dorm room once. Different kind of thing, right? This is the Spirit of God pouring himself out in a tangible way, showing them that he's empowering them for the mission. And look what happens. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, something from above, something from beyond them empowered. Empowers them, and now they know, now we can go, right? Now the mission is on, now we can go. What an incredible moment. When you get home, though, read the rest of Acts chapter 2. Because this is what God had told them to wait for. This is what was prophesied through the, the prophet Joel. The spirit gives them power and they experience amongst other things. Listen, because some of you are still stuck on the tongues of fire. You're like, oh wait, is that what we're expecting this morning? Is he gonna lock the doors? Is this gonna get weird? Um, uh, what's going on here in this place? Well, what do they experience as a result of their power? Firstly, they do experience signs and wonders and miraculous gifts, right? But just read Acts chapter two. What else do they experience? Suddenly evangelistic zeal and evangelistic power. Peter goes from a guy terrified of a teenage girl to suddenly standing up to the highest authorities in the land testifying to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What happened? The Spirit gave him power that he didn't have. Uh, What did they also show? Wisdom and understanding of the Scriptures and their fulfillment in Christ. Read Peter's explanation of what happens um, in Acts chapter 2. Suddenly Peter's leading a Bible study. He didn't know anything. What happened? The Spirit gave them power, right? What, what also takes place? There's rapid pace sanctification and desire for holiness. Suddenly the apostles are holy men wanting to live holy lives and set holy standards for their community. What happened? The Spirit gave them power. Suddenly there's supernatural love and community. Now you've got people giving their possessions away. Acts 4 tells us there's not one person in need, right? What happened? The Spirit gave them Power so that they could live the life that Christ had called them to live. All right, listen. I know our vibe. I know the stone. We're such a cool church. I love us, right? But I know some of you are like twitchy. Maybe you're weirded out by the signs and wonders and gifts part. I get that, okay? I grew up Christian brethren. Which was solidly built on the Father, the Son, and the King James Bible, right? Um, and not just any Bible, just King, King James is one, right? Okay? And so if you, if you mentioned the Holy Spirit in the church I grew up in, man, that was like. Grounds for church discipline, right? The Holy Spirit was something that just happened once when the church was weird, and now we don't do that anymore, thank goodness. Now we're super controlled, right? And miserable, it turns out, uh, but, but super controlled. Now we just lie about sin, and that's much better, okay? Um, and so uh, that, that's the tradition I grew up. So I understand it. I still get super nervous when I see people hyping the faux miraculous, right? We've seen so much silliness. One of the sure ways you can know if it's faux miraculous is if they ask you for money, No, probably not of the Lord, right? Okay, just no. If they need your credit card number for a miracle, no, the Lord doesn't charge, right? The God I believe in isn't short of cash, to quote Bono, right? Okay, and so that's not the way uh, that, that, that this works. But I think as a counter to that, we may have given into some kind of rationalism of enlightenment thinking and think that church life is then supposed to not experience the supernatural power of God. And that's a tremendous shame. Now we are experiencing his power in this church. We're seeing people saved. You guys are here today. We're seeing the gospel advance in the nations amongst our goers. That's great. That's great. Praise the Lord. But are you experiencing his supernatural power in your walk? Imagine what it would be like if God gave us that sort of power again. The power to fight sin. How many of you just getting beaten by the same sin every day and you've kind of just grown accustomed to it? He will give you power. Power to bear the fruit of the Spirit in this divided moment. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You're like, I can't do those things. Exactly. What do you need? Power. Power to share our faith with boldness and zeal. Are you like me? I share my faith boldly up here in my neighborhood. I'm like a mouth full of teeth, right? People like ask, what do you do? I'm like a, a thinker uh, and a teacher, scholar kind of life guide um, kind of guy, right? Because I know as soon as I say pastor, it's like, oh, here we go, (laughs) right? Now now, now we're right in. Power to share our our lives with generosity and openness. So many of you go like, I wanna do something for the poor. I wanna share what the Lord has given me. I want my life to count. What do you need? Power. Because in your flesh, you go like, but I, I just can't. I just can't. Okay. God's people need God's power. But now you might be asking, wasn't that outpouring and infilling of the Holy Spirit a once sort of thing? Wasn't that was something that was promised long ago by Joel and then it's fulfilled at Pentecost that happens once and hasn't happened since? Well, while the actual event of Pentecost does seem unprecedented and unrepeated, the principle, listen of God breathing His powerful spirit into believers is something we see right throughout the scriptures in New and Old Testaments. I don't have time to walk you through the full biblical theology today. It's been something that has then been repeated right throughout church history when people ask God to do it. And then I think this is big. God keeps doing it again and again and again in the life of the early church. He didn't just fill that church at Pentecost in one moment and then leaves them to live off of that moment forever. Those same people, this changed my life when I realized this, when I read Acts honestly. Those same people who were at Pentecost and many others are filled again and again with the Holy Spirit in special ways. Look at it quickly with me. I could quote dozens. I'll give you five for sake of time, right? Acts chapter four, Peter and John. Are Peter and John at Pentecost? Yes, is the answer, right? Peter and John are at Pentecost. Not a trick question, they're there. What happens at Pentecost? They get filled with the Holy Spirit. That's Acts chapter two. Acts chapter four, post-Pentecost, Peter and John get pulled up before the council to testify. And the text tells us that Peter stands up to speak and before he stands up to speak, he is filled up with the Holy Spirit. He was there at Pentecost. He was filled there and yet here for particular purpose, for a power that he did not have, he gets filled again. Later in Acts 4, Peter and John go to a prayer meeting. You're like, boring. No. When the Spirit shows up at a prayer meeting, incredible things happen. What happens? The place they're meeting shakes. And what happens? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, people who were at Pentecost. Stephen, oh, I love Stephen. Acts chapter 7, what are we told? He's filled filled with the Holy Spirit as he bravely testified to the deity of Jesus and pays the ultimate price as a martyr in the early church. The Spirit gives him power he wouldn't have had himself. Paul, Paul gets filled with the Spirit, we're told, at conversion. And then in Acts 13, we're told that he is filled with the Holy Spirit again as he powerfully opposes Elimus the magician. Why? It's a powerful moment. And what does he need? Power from the Holy Spirit. Acts 13, 52, we're told that all the disciples were filled with joy and that they were filled up to the brim with what? The power of the Holy Spirit. And this this seems formative in the life of Paul as an essential part of the Christian life. Look at how he instructs the Ephesian church. Now, if you know Paul's letter to the Ephesians, right, you know that he tells us very clearly in Ephesians 1 that if you're a Christian, you are what? sealed with the Holy Spirit, right? So if you're a Christian, you've got a seal placed on you, a mark placed on you. The Holy Spirit says, this belongs to the Father, right? Through the power of Jesus Christ. So if you're a Christian here today, you have the Holy Spirit. There's a seal, right? It's done, you are marked, it's beautiful. But then look what he says four chapters later to the same people. So he said they have the Spirit. Then look what he commands them in Ephesians 5. He says, do not get drunk with wine. Right? And that doesn't mean, hey, do I have other options? Whiskey, White Claw? White Claw? I mean, that's harmless. Is that, I mean, and it's watermelon flavor. I mean, that's, that can't be a sin, right? The fact that it's watermelon flavor is a sin in and of itself, right? <laughs> this means don't give in to drunkenness. Don't try to escape your reality. In your weakness, don't try to escape it. Rather, because that is debauchery, rather, instead of that, right? What do you do with your weakness? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. What did he tell them in Ephesians 1? You have the Holy Spirit. What does he tell them in Ephesians 5? But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Tim Keller parallels the two and talks about what's the difference between drinking wine and being drunk with wine. Right? Uh, what's the difference between uh, uh, being a Christian and therefore having the Holy Spirit versus being filled with the Holy Spirit? Or drinking wine is when you have wine. Being drunk with wine is when wine has you. (laughs) And so being filled with the Holy Spirit is not talking about you having the Holy Spirit. Every believer has that. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not you having the Holy Spirit, but when the Holy Spirit has you. And listen, if you're a grammar nerd, Paul puts this in the present passive, imperative. You know how we should say it today? Be ongoingly filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul's saying to us as our pastor. Every day, every day, be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Second observation, God's people Still need God's power. Friends, so many of you are trying to white knuckle it in the Christian life. You come to church today, you get, okay, more stuff I must do. I must just go do it. And you know you can't. Here's the great news. You have a helper. (laughs) You have a helper who can fill you up and give you a power that you do not possess. Possess. And yet, in my own experience of a Christian journey and in my years walking with and in church communities, I wonder how many of us are experiencing the power of God's Spirit filling us up so that we can do the things that He has for us. Let me be clear. If you're a Christian, I'm not worried that you have the Spirit. And listen, let me also be clear. I don't think that you need some kind of second Spirit baptism. It's not as simple as that. I think you need to be filled with the Spirit every day. So that as Paul says to the Galatians, you would walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. That's what we need, right? That's what we need. And yet so many of us don't experience that. I know from my own life that you can be a believer and not be experiencing the power of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Dwight Moody said it this way. God commands us, to be filled with the Spirit, and if we are not filled, it is because we are living beneath our privileges. He says, I think that is the great trouble with Christendom today. We are not living up on the plane where God would have us live. And friends, for much of my Christian existence, that was my life story. Getting totally beaten by sin, afraid to death to share my faith, zero desire to read the scriptures and zero understanding of it when I did insipid, removed versions of Christian community where we never saw real change or real repentance or real vulnerability or real openness or real failure or real grace? And the answers I got in church when I tried to wrestle with it was that this is the Christian walk in the dispensation that we are in. Just keep going. And of course, there's, there's an incredible power to, to Endurance. But then in my journeys, I would meet other believers who were beating sin and who were experiencing joy and who were sharing their faith and who were loving the word. The difference when I would speak to them every single time, filled with the spirit of God and determined to make it a daily part of their walk. I've used this quote before, but I love it. (laughs) One of my heroes of the faith, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones Prophetically protested the posture of modern churches in his community, because those churches were pushing back, saying, "No, no, Pentecost happened once, and we got all of the spirit that we need at salvation. We don't need to ask for any more of the spirit." Here's how uh, Martin Lloyd Jones countered that argument. He said, "Got it all? Well, if you have got it all, I simply ask, in the name of God, why are you as you are?" If you have got it all, why are you so unlike New Testament Christians? You got it all? You got it at your conversion? Well, where is it, (laughs) I ask? Lloyd Jones looked at the church and said, Where's the power? Where is the power? Didn't he say, You will receive power? Friends, I've used my time this morning. Are you looking at your life in Christ right now? And as you examine the way you fight sin, as you're counting the number of times you've shared the gospel with people this last year, as you look at the consistency of your time in God's word, as you look at the depth of involvement and community with your brothers and sisters in Christ, are you thinking, I've got it all, this is it, this is church, this is the life. Or are you thinking together with some of us discontented souls in a holy way, there must be more power to this. There's something I'm lacking, something I'm missing. I have such great redemption and joy in the gospel, but to live this life, I need God's power. We still need it. I still need it. Well, how do we get it? As I wrap this up, well, first you need to acknowledge something, and it's not easy to do. Because there is a presupposition hidden in the promise given to the early church, you will receive power. What does that presuppose? You don't have it. (laughs) Jesus looks at his first followers and he's going, "Uh, there's no power here. But you will receive power. I'll give it to you. But you need to understand that presupposition of weakness and need. And these are things we hate to admit, things that we fight to overcome. Hey friends, maybe God, maybe part of what God is doing in this season, I mean, we can never know the fullness of what God is doing, right? The scriptures warn us, who knows the mind of the Lord? No one. Right? So I don't pretend to know the fullness of what God is doing in the world today. But Maybe part of what he is doing is he's actually disarming his church from its worldly power source. And he's returning us to a knowledge of our weak dependence on him. Maybe he's making us weaker so that we'll experience his strength. He's doing this in me for sure. In my 42 years of life, (laughs) I have never felt as weak as I do now. I have never been so aware of my own need as I am now. And you know what else? I have never been so expectant that God's power will be sufficient for me and for us, never before. I've got so much faith that He's doing something in me and in us, and that is not done. If we are going to see God's renewing work in our midst, we're going to need to acknowledge our weakness and we're gonna need to ask him for his power. How do we do that? Well, Jesus has simple instructions, I'm nearly done, in Luke 11. Look what he says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, I'm like, how do you get your son to eat fish? his son asks for a fish will instead of a fish give him a serpent can you imagine how bad that father is or if you ask for an egg will give him a scorpion if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him (laughs) you know what you need the humble posture of a needy child You know what you need? To remember the kind nature of the heavenly father. He won't give you something that will hurt you. And then you know what you have to do? You have to ask. And so friends, my hopes for today are so simple. All that I want us to walk away with today is longing. I want you to grow increasingly dissatisfied with the level of power you can muster in your own flesh. So that... You cry out to the Father to send His Holy Spirit to fill you today and tomorrow, and the day after that, and the day after that. Here's how we start today. As we launch this series, we adopt the ancient traditional means of displaying weakness and dependence. God's given the church means for us to remind us that we're weak, right? And that He's strong. So that starts with prayer. We're gonna pray now in the service, but then uh, there's some uh, information at all the congregations about how we're gonna be praying throughout the series together. Take part in those. Be part of a community that says, we are weak, you are strong. We need you, let's go to you in prayer. Secondly, fasting. What is fasting? A declaration of weakness. I need stuff daily, and so I'll abstain from that as a reminder of my need. We're fasting from social media for the next seven weeks. Now, I always thought social media fast were lame. I was like, no, Christians fast food, right? all right? Not eat fast food, fast from food, right? right? So you're like, Christians fast food. Yes, I like that. That's good. No, no, Christians fast from food and, and we should do that, right? But I'm persuaded that social media and 24-hour news cycles are corroding the soul of the church. They're making us bad. They make us believe in our own power. And I think seven weeks away from them will change your life. So we're gonna do that together as a church for seven weeks and one day of each week we're gonna fast from food, join us in that. Pick a day, pick a day that works with your family, do it, try it, go to the Lord. And then lastly, worship. You know what worship is? It's a declaration of weakness and it's a declaration of God's strength, letting his truth wash over us, allowing his powerful presence to move in us. Beloved friend, I've taken so much time this morning on. Jesus Christ died for our sin. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. (laughs) And then he ascended to heaven and he will soon be returning for his own. What magnificent news, but it's even better. He didn't leave us as orphans. He left us his Holy Spirit to give us power. I say with the Apostle Paul, be filled with the Holy Spirit? What if every day, for the next 50 days, instead of grabbing your phone and checking what's happening in the world, which gives you a lame sense of power, you let your knees touch the floor and the first thing's out of your mouth. is just, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Let's see what he does. Father God, thank you so much for your word. I have nothing besides it, Lord. I can't persuade these people of their need. Only your Spirit can do that. So Lord, I pray that you would take this pitiable, weak offering today, but that your word would be the power that goes forward and that your Holy Spirit would be the power that inhabits us, that dwells in us, that changes us. Pray for those listening today who don't yet know you've never experienced this, never experienced the Spirit's power and comfort. I pray right now that you would win them to yourself and that they would respond in faith, that you would show them that your son Jesus is Lord and that they would become followers of his. For those who've been away for a long time, Lord, I pray that they would hear the Spirit whispering your love and your mercy and your kindness and your grace and your nearness. Lord, I pray for those who feel weak today, like me. (laughs) I pray that it wouldn't be something we run away from. I pray that it would be something we rejoice in because when we're weak, then we get to see your strength and we long to see your strength. Fill me now. Fill us now with your Holy Spirit. Let us receive the power to be your people and to pursue your purposes in our generation. In Jesus' name.